we're looking for that validation from the marketplaces, which again, pulls us into doing more content and being more accessible, but doesn't necessarily pull us into being more thoughtful or more engaging. Welcome back to Leading Matters. Guest today is Daniel Newman, and you're going to love it. <laughs> I say it all the time, but you're really going to love this one. What's great about, first of all, if you don't know Daniel Newman, I want you to thank me afterwards because I'm pretty sure you're going to be happy that I introduced him to you. He is one of those guys that, um, great practitioner, knows what he's talking about, has done it for himself, and then also makes it accessible for those that he works with. And he also takes it upon himself to speak literally all over the world about it. So what is his topic? He focuses mostly on uh, the digital landscape as far as it impacts our marketing, um, the technologies that impact our marketing, and how to apply them in an effective way, but but not in a glib kind of um, nuancey sort of opinionated talking head sort of way that you see so much of today, but no, in a, in a, in a really uh, in-depth challenging, pulling no punches, sort of, this ain't going to be easy, but it's going to make a huge difference for you. And he gets into a lot of that today from really all angles, uh, from the personal impact that's had on him to the challenges that leave some people in the dust to the composition of who we tap to guide these sorts of strategies, these communication and marketing strategies within our organizations, how we connect with the right service provider if we're going to outsource some of that work. It's a tremendous episode. I think you're going to love it. So let's dive into it right now, my interview with Daniel Newman. Today we are speaking with a man whose LinkedIn profile alone is going to leave you winded. He is not only the principal analyst at Futurum Research and CEO of Broadsuite Media Group, but he is a frequent and indeed top contributor to the Huffington Post, Entrepreneur, and Forbes. Matter of fact, he writes like crazy. You're going to find a ton of stuff from him on Forbes. He is a best-selling author and adjunct professor for MBA candidates at North Central's College's School of Business and Economics. And he's the co-host of Smack Talk, one of the most highly rated, if not the most highly rated, cloud technology podcasts. He is Dan Newman, and I have to tell you, I am delighted to have him on the show with us today. Dan, thank you so much for being with me on Leading Matters. Hey, good morning, and thanks for having me on the show, Joel. Uh, listen, pleasure's mine. And listen, Dan, um, I want you do so much. You've got so much going on that my words probably won't do it justice. So just to set the table for my audience, can, can give us some context about what they should have in their minds about Dan Newman as we begin this conversation. Yeah, so I'm a entrepreneur that focuses across the media and marketing space. So I've become the uh, a partner or owner in four different companies now, but they're really all interconnected. Uh, the reason they're all different companies is, you know, some different partnerships, some unique value propositions, and just understanding that when you're small, I still believe it's better to be focused on certain parts than being too wide, leaving you to be shallow. So each business, you know, tends to go really deep. But those four areas are basically, you know, we have a marketing agency, V3B, we have a media company that focuses on, you know, digital lead gen and influencer marketing, and that's Broad Suite Media Group. I have Futurum Research, which is a analysis and research firm that focuses entirely on consulting research and analysis for big tech companies interested in digital transformation. And then we 
we have XVA Labs, which is actually kind of a, a hidden secret little project. And there'll be more on this later, but we're building some some software and some culture uh, defining uh, tools that companies can use to analyze their own transformation. And then, of course, I write and I speak all over the world. Uh, in fact, I just came back from CES. So I'm doing a lot of things, and, and that's a really short explanation. But as a whole, I just believe in constantly reinvesting in yourself. And, and for me, the way I do that is through launching various businesses that I can serve the community who is interested in what I'm doing. Well, let, let's talk about that a little bit because you're you're – the array of what you cover is, I find it, you know, broad, but it's also very complimentary of everything you're doing, right? So that's why I was anxious to have you on the show, because I think you have a very rich uh, take on how all these interconnected pieces need to fit together and, and how you get a hold of them. But you talked at the very end there about, um, you know, the community. And I caught a TEDx talk that you did uh, summer of last in 2016. And I have to tell you, it was a very thoughtful and, and really a, a personal chat. As a matter of fact, I would encourage my audience to go check it out. I'll link it up in the show notes. But Dan, as I watched, I really got the sense that you were you know, kind of opening yourself up on stage a bit to some things that you struggle with in this new media age. So again, for the benefit of my audience, can you talk a little bit about that TEDx uh, presentation that you did and, and what motivated you to make uh, meaningful relationships your topic? You know, I, I when I was... De determining whether or not I wanted to do a, a TED Talk, Joel, I was thinking a lot about what I could do that would be a little bit more personal. You know, we get on stage and we talk a lot about the things we know, and we're kind of always a little bit guarded about what we're talking about because we want the audience to see us as experts that kind of stand above the crowd and have some sort of insight that nobody else has. But at the core of it, we're all humans and there's a lot of talk about people to people and human to human and all those different new marketing tactics. And at the core of it all though, until we sort of open ourselves up and become a little bit more transparent, I think it is really hard to connect with people because as a whole, we're, we're all a little flawed. We're all a little imperfect. So I said, you know, you know that one of the things that, that was so important to me was kind of just a little bit of introspection and talking more about, what our struggles are in this world that we live in. We seem to be online all the time. We're constantly posting and sharing and writing and blogging and on podcasts. And we spend all of our day consuming media. But so often we're neglecting the most important people in our lives. And what really drew this out of me was we were uh, due to have uh, our third child. And, you know, I had my children when, when I was very young. I was uh, 20 and 24, and my oldest daughters are 15 and 11. And 10 years later, I was about to have my third child. It's sort of an unexpected part of my life, something I didn't know was going to happen. And it had just made me think a lot about even in those 10 and 15 years, how much technology had changed and how much time we spend on our screens and how little time sometimes we spend connecting with those people in our life that are most important to us. So it was sort of a struggle internal that I was having and I wanted to talk about it and share it with the community that, hey, I love being online and I love technology. And if it wasn't for technology, I wouldn't have the life I have right now. I wouldn't have the success I've had so far. But at the same time, if I spent all my time staring at screens and on media and recording the events of my children instead of being with my children, when am I going to build these great relationships with people? And it goes beyond your children. It goes into our relationships and marriages. It goes into the, our work relationships, our client relationships. 
I was at CES all last week. Just the amount of time we all spend looking down at our screen. Why do we travel thousands of miles to hang out on our phones? So it was a, it was a deep and kind of personal conversation. I'm, I'm glad you asked about it. This year, my goal, and, and I'm going to be doing this, I'm speaking at this event, Summit Live UK, uh, in March, and I'm actually going to be you know revealing quite a bit of my personal insights, my entrepreneurial journey, and even some hidden talents that people don't know about me. And I felt like it was the next big step for me. If I'm going to be spending time out on stage, people can easily go online and read about my companies, what I do. They can read my books if they want to know my philosophies. And, and sure, they can book me out to speak. And I think that's great. But when you start to pull, pull the onion back a little bit for people, I think that's when you really make the deepest connections with your with your communities and with your audiences. And I think it'll just lead to more business, more visibility, but hopefully also some some really wonderful relationships, even if they're not in volume, but just in depth. Yeah, listen, I'm glad I asked about it too. And again, I would encourage the audience to check it out because I, I did, I, I'm always drawn to, look, I know we, 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 we're connected because we, we know Brian, you work with Brian Fanzo quite a bit and he's doing this um, podcast recently. He did this whole fear of missing out thing. That's what the podcast is, but about CES and he wasn't there and it was really, it was really raw and hey, here's why I'm anxious about not being there. And that's what I got from your talk as well. It was a very personal and intimate thing. And, and, and here's, you know what the question in here is why why is it do you think that especially now let's kind of go over to the business side of the equation why is it that we look at our communication as so utilitarian in nature and not as truly a way to connect and, and communicate i mean how how is it that in your opinion that media has become so much more accessible and we're so much more connected yet we seem so further and separated apart. I mean, why, I mean, I have my own opinions, but I'm curious what you think about that. Well, I think the first thing is volume. The choice is just out of control. We growing up had a few newspapers, you know, a few television channels. Suddenly we have just this endless volume of content that we can choose to consume and choose not to consume. So I think brands are trying to stand out. Some are trying to stand out through volume. Some are trying to stand out through quality. Some are trying to stand out through omni and multi-channel. Some are trying to target you and pay for access to you. Um, but as a, as a whole, as a society, we have too much choice and our brains aren't really wired to consume the amount of content that's out there. And just as a kind of a, an example of that, if you looked on like a, you know, if you were on looking at like a, 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 a XY axis, right, a chart, and you saw a line, the ability for the human to consume additional information and data is only growing at a very, very small rate. So that line, if you think of a horizontal line, is just a linear tilted up just a little bit. Um, as we've evolved, we can consume a little bit more info and utilize it. But the amount of information available to us is on this exponential curve. And it's like a line that started off kind of a little bit below the the line of amount of information that we can consume. And it's crossed over. Now it's crossed over and almost shooting straight up to the moon, right? And so everything that's in between there is all this information that we can't seem to grasp. And so this is opening up the world to, to new technologies. This is where artificial intelligence is going to play a huge role. But this is also what has us chasing constant feedback and constant uh, – uh, response. And most of us as social creatures are looking for feedback from the world. So we don't necessarily look to get deeper in our feedback. We look to get more of it. And that's where all, all the, uh, you know, the social proof likes and, and retweets and engagements come in and overwhelm us. And then as companies and as marketers who are just people behind the curtain of organizations, we're looking for that validation from the marketplaces, which again, pulls us 
into doing more content and being more accessible, but doesn't necessarily pull us into being more thoughtful or more engaging. Now, I'm curious, have you seen the latest uh, video that Simon Sinek has floating around? It was done back in October, but it's kind of popping up on social media right now about the he talks about the millennials in the workforce and the dopamine that's triggered by likes and whatnot. Have you seen that by any chance? I have. He's. I haven't watched the entire thing. I'm. I'm. I'm confessing. I've tried. It's my <laughs> uh, difficulty paying attention for long periods of time to online content. It's sort of ironic, right? But the. Um, I did watch the beginning of it, and I do find him. You know, his start with why was one of my favorite TED talks for a long time, and I, I do listen, and I think the things he has to say are always very thoughtful. So here's my, I'm glad you at least saw the, are familiar with it, right? Because what I'm curious about is now, let, let's turn to, before we, we hit record here, you and I were talking about um, the disparity between sales and marketing today that's, even though technology has improved and should make that relationship better, it the relationship seems even further apart where marketing gets so zeroed in on metrics and and things that matter to their performance that they, they, especially in a more complex sales process, right, that they miss that that necessity and that responsibility they have to enable and empower their sales force, right? So in that context, that's why I asked about the Simon Sinek talk, right, because what there, there's a level of, of moral obligation, there's a, there's a level of understanding our marketplace so, so masterfully, not that we're using them, but we're seeking to educate them, and then marketers serving sales to help sales do their jobs better. I mean, that's, and to me, you know, I'm, I'm curious the question here, right? To me, it's, it's such a complex, it, it, complexity's grown, right? And have we, Dan, in the face of that complexity, kind of sheltered ourselves in on, on our, you know, on our backhand, let's say we're great at the backhand, right? That, that we only focus in on those things and fail to figure out how all those different intricacies of how we communicate work today? Yeah, I think we've scared the consumer away it's the technology has become overwhelming for most we're getting just constantly inundated if you look at my iphone you'll see i have something like 147,000 unread emails in a given day and some people chase inbox zero i don't but the long and the short of it is as marketers we're constantly trying to feed the funnel we think that those tangible results are the end all be all and what we're not doing is we're not building these more adaptable more agile more trust driven organizations that work together uh, you even mentioned something about you know sales not trusting the leads coming from marketing as much as they once did and that's because marketing is so busy with their shotgun so busy having a focus on you know their their total clicks and total views and reads and People are downloading the assets who have no idea what company they're even coming from and what this lead even means. They're not focused in, on quality. They're focused on width. They're focused on their numbers. And so we're not creating these interconnected companies. We're not looking at social for how it can help create these one-to-one -one relationships. And really, we're writing about it, but we're not doing it. And so much of it is you know, with big data, with analytics, with artificial intelligence, with chatbots, with all these things that are going on, we should be getting closer to creating these very, very personalized relationships, both with and without technology. But what instead we're doing is we're actually kind of uh, grabbing hold of some old marketing tactics. Uh, we're trying to create digital billboards, you know, with with ROI being this big, this big holy grail and saying, hey, if we can just put enough leads in the funnel, if we can get thousands of people to download and a few people to close, then, you know, we've solved all the problems for our business. But hmm. really to move the digital needle, to move companies forward into the next era, I think we need to be 
back to thinking a little bit more about quality. It's kind of like companies that invested everything into shared media and said, we're going to build these great presences on Facebook or LinkedIn. And we've seen one channel after another kind of turn off the uh, organic fire hose for companies and basically say, hey, we're glad you spent yeah. a lot of time and money here, but you need to spend more money if you yeah. want to continue to have success here. And by the way, what a lot of companies did, especially small and mid-sized companies, was they really uh, threw in the towel on their own media, didn't work on building their own mm. blogs, their own communities, their own podcasts. And, and now what's happened is they don't know how to reach their audience anymore. So they're turning to tactics that help them maybe feel like they're accomplishing it faster. But for most businesses, I still say we've got to turn back to, to quality. Quality still has to be the first thing we do, you know, unless you're selling potato chips, unless you're yeah. trying to sell something that's yeah. very, very commodity or transactional. Well, isn't that ironic, though, right? Because that small companies would turn away from their owned media because, I mean, when this when this wave of creating content to connect with your audience started, the whole idea was to, hey, take advantage of people's need to find information, right? But now if we're you know, kind of throwing that talent, isn't that like the worst thing we could do? Shouldn't we focus in on understanding our story a little bit better so we could communicate more effectively to those that are trying to sift through the noise? Yeah, you would really, th you would really think so, Joel. I just don't think that <laughs> – they, they're doing it. And and it's another thing, too, is that we are not building a world that the people are, that are responsible for these parts of our business are able to keep up with what's going on. And one of the biggest skill sets for the workforce, the, the knowledge worker of the future is going to be adaptability and agility, not specialty. And so we go through school, you know, I'm a graduate professor and I've got students in their MBAs. And it's amazing how much they're dialed into maybe a specific quality or trait rather than being a little bit more of a generalist. And so for a marketer, for instance, the ability to learn really, really fast how to operate across all these multiple channels and how to be successful in both, you know, qualitative content marketing and quantitative inbound lead generation is something most of these marketers struggle with. And it's hard to hire for it because you hire for it, you get them into your funnel of doing it the way your business does it. And within six or 12 months, they're out, out of date in terms of all the evolution and change that's gone on. You know, companies, I know you mentioned you write for HubSpot. There's a lot of companies like them that say, hey, we're going to solve all your problems. But I can't tell you how many companies have turned to marketing automation tools and cannot succeed it because they don't realize it's not the tool itself. It's yeah. going to be the story you tell combined with the tools. And so you have people who are great at marketing analytics but can't write and can't create great content. Or you got the opposite. You got these storytellers that have no idea how to how to make or monitor ROI. And really, unless you can tie those things all together, but also just constantly stay up to date with what the new tools are and build an organization that can stay up with you. Because a lot of times these people in these roles don't have authority to make purchases, to update technology, to change um, strategy in any way. So companies tend to lag. They get a strategy that worked for them maybe a year or two ago and they're saying, hey, this is what worked. And, you know, we've all seen the, the meme, Joel, out there, right? But you know, this, the seven most dangerous words in businesses because it's always been done that way. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so many uh, organizations find something that works and is successful and they don't want to change. But disruption, the rate of change is, is really exponential today. So you have to always be thinking change. The minute something starts working, you have to think about the next way to do it. Well, how about, Dan, I'm wondering if the level of effort in everything you just described is what Okay, listen, like let's look at owned media, right? One of the things when I'm when I'm chasing a new client, I always looked at their owned media footprint. 
and 99.9% of the time there is, except for the you know occasional press release, there is no owned media at all. And they might even have a PR firm that they're paying for, right? And it, which is ironic, right? Because if you look at, we talked again before we got on the phone, we talked about the personal branding space. And I almost think the, the personal branding folks are better in tune with this because that, that's that's their bread and butter, right? The more I get out there, more people know who I am and, and on and on, right? Why do you think it is? And, and I suspect, and let me kind of stack the deck a little bit. Look, an own media strategy is not for the faint of heart. I mean, it takes a lot of work. You got to connect with the editors. You got to make sure you understand how they're writing, their tone, what they care about, write for them, maybe go back to the drawing board a couple, three times, right? And then do it all over again for the next post, right? So, and then obviously there's a, an inflection point where you, the volume starts to pick up for you. But that entry point and is that a barrier to entry that's too steep for small companies or even larger companies to scale nobody likes things that are hard and they run away from it it's hard it can be costly but i think avoiding this as your means to building your brand and and your community is going to be deadly I actually said that. I said, I think we're going to go back to the age of owned media again. Um, It's not because people don't love Facebook and people don't love different social media channels. It's because brands can't successfully tell their story on these platforms anymore because these platforms are going to become more and more just a end game for the, the biggest and the biggest budgets. So what I believe has to happen is companies have to get back to this. So you asked me two questions, you know, kind of in there, you asked me why they're running away from it or why they're not doing it. And, and what you said or the way you stack the deck is, is, is correct from my experience. Most companies, they say we want to have a content strategy, but they write one or two blog posts and they go, wow, that was really hard. Or, hey, we want to do video. Well, video is really a challenge. And a lot of times, even if you have great things to say, you're not great on video. And then you have to decide between are you going to do it live or are you going to do it recorded? Uh, what about, you know, podcasting? What about long form content versus short form content? What kind of budget do we have for this and how soon does it have to work? And that's another reason why marketers are constantly under duress is because they're asked to launch a content strategy, start generating leads and do all of it within the matter of a few months. Well, if we turned it around and went back to the CEO and said, hey, I need you to hire a sales force. Get them out in the, get them trained and get them out in the field and get them to be starting to convert sales in a couple of months. I think a lot of them would start to look at that and go, hey, that's not as easy as you think. And sure, yes, every once in a while you'll find that unicorn that can come in and, and from day one just be knocking targets out of the park. But for the most part, you hire salespeople, you know, with a goal of them becoming efficient in three months. And usually, you know, good ones take north of six months and oftentimes even a year before they really start to pay off. And companies just don't feel like they have that time anymore. And Here's the interesting thing, and maybe the thing I'm at risk when I say here a little bit, Joel, but is that I don't know that companies have that much time anymore. I mean, with the way disruption is going, you're seeing fortune companies go from one year of profit to the next year of being out of business. And it's like the stories pop up every day. So being fast and being efficient is going to be the key to survival. And companies that can't figure it out are going to struggle. But I think that's why guys like you and me are out there. We're out there to sort of help companies jump over that hurdle faster. But many of them just they want to. It's almost like they have to continue to fall on their sword. The difference in the in the age of digital disruption is your sword is much closer to your back on any given day than it used to be. <laughs> I like that. Your sword is much closer to your back. No, I think you're right about that. What about um, and Dan? Let me shift gears a little bit, right? Because I um, I'm a Gary Vaynerchuk fan. I just I just like and what I like about him is I think he. It's funny because his fandom 
I, nine times out of ten, I don't think his fandom really gets where his mastery is. And I see him as a master of media to sell stuff, right? In that traditional consumer product sort of way that, listen, if I can master the media, I'm going to sell more stuff, right? But uh, last week, his company acquired uh, PureWow, a, a, a women-focused uh, uh, digital publisher. And that, and it really, I thought, it really, I really took notice of it, right? Because I feel like a guy like that will coalesce you know, pull together different media outlets and exploit it for the way advertising works. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is inconsequential. I just kind of see that happening on that landscape and a guy like him pushing that envelope. Do you think the same thing will happen on the trade media side? And let me let me pose the question this this way. You know, in the late 90s, early 1000s, when I was, you know, product marketing and, and things like that, we had to spend time courting trade media so they would write about us. We would have to spend time with the Gartners and the Forrester of the Worlds because they were the only ones that were out there to make sure they understood our application, our solution in the context that we wanted them to understand it. So, the, the, But the trade media is gone, right? There is no trade media anymore. So I'm curious if you see what's happening on the consumer side of media. Is that sort of coalescence going to happen in the trade side of media? Yeah, I mean, I think it's happening already. I think there's more, a few more options than what you had in your age of trade media. I think there's, I think all media is paid media, and I really hate to say it, but one way or another, companies are paying for media. I, I, you know, writing for the trade pubs that uh, that I write for, writing for Forbes, Entrepreneur, Huffington Post, uh, writing for brands, I get probably 500 pitches a week. I'm not kidding, Joel. 500 pitches a week from brands for PR, for access to their executives, for interviews. People want us to write about them. Truth is, so many writers are now are freelancers. Few media publications actually have full-time staffers that are out seeking stories anymore. Mm. Uh, most of us, we write towards the audience that we're trying to engage to grow our businesses, and that's the trade-off that most of these media companies have for getting the content. And we're not that interested in you know being pitched, and we're sure as heck not interested in doing it for free. So... I think for a lot of brands, they have to completely rethink their entire media acquisition strategies. They have to rethink their PR strategies. I can't tell you how many PR people I've had to sort of virtually slap in the face to tell them, you know, that what they're doing isn't going to work. It's not appealing. It's not attractive anymore. And if you want media exposure, this is kind of how you're going to have to acquire it. And it's been really hard on PR companies because their whole thing is we've got relationships with media. We can give you access to journalists. We can get things written for you. Well, right now, there are very, very few journalists across the, the major trade publications anymore that are just simply out there seeking stories. They're looking for business connections. They're, they're basically, it's pay to play. Um, it's not just Facebook. It's pretty much everybody that has an audience is trying to monetize that today. And doesn't that, again, maybe I'm leading the witness here, right? But doesn't that reinforce the discussion we had just a couple of minutes ago about, hey, you must understand the actual reality of the story that your product or service has on the people using it, or else you'll never make headway with, with getting things published or, or printed? Yeah, I think you have to be way up to date on you know the practices but that's why i'm saying like i feel like companies are constantly trying to stick by what had worked in the past and you know looking backwards is not going to get you to where you need to go this isn't uh this isn't all that uh you know genius forward thinking here what i'm saying but so many companies is like well this worked three or four years ago well it doesn't work anymore so you're going to have to find a new way to do it and this is where you know taking certain things in house i still believe collaboration and partnership though is going to be key i don't think companies can 
bring in and hire full time like they once did and be successful because you need people who are specialized, as I mentioned, but you also need rapid adaptability. So you need people who are adapting kind of on the sidelines because you as a company, if you're in software and technology, you may not have time to train marketers on the newest lead gen and inbound tactics. And you may not have the expertise in management to actually even know where to take them if they wanted to become trained. But through the right partnerships, through the right alignments, and I'm not necessarily saying agencies either. And mm-hmm. I think the type of agency that companies need to be seeking out needs to be more specialized, faster paced, faster moving. And a lot of the traditional agencies just don't meet that. And it's not a knock on them, but I can just tell you I've worked with countless big agencies. And it is amazing to me how little some of them know about the digital landscape. They're still really, really good at old media. And it's called old media for a reason. And for very few companies, is it, is it the right way to build your audience, community, or business? Well, you know, it's interesting, right, about the, your your take on agencies, right? Because I completely agree with you. I think that that the services that agencies provide today are so segmented and they're so um, – they're like what – and again, I, I ran VP – I was VP of marketing for a professional services firm before I went on my own. And I would have killed for an agency that was like an embedded partner. So I could give them the vision and the strategy. I can give them the story and then help me – produce it at a, at a larger scale, but I could never, I could never find one. But, but what I'm finding, and that's part of what motivated me to go out on my own, because like, well, shoot, I, I know how to put these pieces together, but I find it a tough sell sometimes, right? Because even though we might, as marketers or, or business leaders, want might want that, that the reality to get there, again, there, there's some kind of chasm that people need to cross. And I haven't quite figured it out, to tell you the truth. I haven't figured it out because when you get into the discussion, at the end of the day, you know, especially if you're talking to a leader who's 40 years or older, uh, you, know, you know, age 40 or older, they immediately go to, okay, that's web design and development. That cost me X. That's video production. That cost me Y. And this is, you know, paid advertisement. And that's, that's going to cost me Z, right? And as soon as they start to break that all apart, it's like, well, you missed the entire, you missed the entire strategy of what we, we just talked about up to this point. I mean, have you experienced that? Do you think that's a, a widespread phenomenon? I mean, help me understand why that, that's happening. I think it's the immediacy and the expectation of results versus the pressure on budgets. And so what companies are doing is they're trying to split things apart so they can piecemeal things together instead of looking at holistic strategies. They're trying to keep up with what they're hearing when they're listening to a random podcast or you know, viewing Twitter or reading a post of top influencer opinions on something. And Oftentimes, by the way, they're not actually considering the fact that a lot of these people who are talking about stuff don't ever do it. And that's been one of the things I've always prided myself on with having these different businesses is is I don't just talk about this stuff. I live it. We're dealing with lead generation in our own business. You know, we're dealing with a marketing funnel. We're dealing with content strategy. We're not just creating it out there to tell you and tell big companies how to do it. And I think that's a struggle. And, uh, you know, I think they need to start looking you know, a little more introspectively about the fact that, hey, we need to invest in this. We need to build partnerships in this. We need to collaborate on this. We also need to set goals, benchmarks, and have expected results from the companies we hire, hold them accountable. But we need to do so in a, what I call an XAAS world, right? Or an everything as a service world and say, hey, how do we subscribe to this, sign up for this, buy into this in its entirety, then measure this. And then if it's effectively continue to invest in this and understand that 
just because we have a roadmap or just because a company came in and helped us do it successfully doesn't mean we're going to be able to take it over in three months and do it ourselves, which is another giant fail point for so many companies. Oh, we're going to take this in-house and man, do they suck at it. There's so many companies that are so bad at it. And this isn't a knock or any sort of like businessman scorn that feels bad about companies that have, you know, moved on and taken it in-house. I'm always cheering for them. I'm just telling you that when I see the work they do, it sucks. They have no idea what they're doing. They're not paying attention. Every so often one gets it right. And like I said, I bravo, round of applause. For the most part, though, that's just not what happens. They want to take it over because they think it's going to save them money or it's going to give them more control. But they don't have the skills, the access, and usually the resources or time to do what they think they're going to be able to do on their own. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> um, can you give me an example of one that you've worked with that you've seen that, that was successful at it, that did actually take it on with a serious uh, manner, invest in it, and make it work? Well, yeah. I mean, SAP, you and I both have history with them. So Brian Fanzo, who you mentioned, is kind of our mutual connection. And I did some live streaming for them with some targets around the Super Bowl, around Sapphire. And we were hired as talent personality, but also as kind of the back end to help them with production, to help them with driving um, ROI, clicks, uh, visibility into their video and live stream strategy. And after doing a couple events together, they had people on the floor at the show watching every move, asking tons of questions, learning about how to do this work. And then ultimately, they brought a lot of it in house over the last 12 months. Um, there's a gal on the inside named Ursula Ringham. She's a friend, but she's very impressive. And she's been doing a lot more of the, the work herself, going off to more events. She did cut costs, obviously, tremendously by taking on that role of sort of host um, and, you know, finding lower cost means for production. And they've done a great job of continuing the the progress they were making in the live stream space. However, like I said, for every one of those who makes that full commitment, who buys in, who takes it in-house, who continues to measure, get tighter, be more on top of their their metrics, uh, I see 10 that, like I said, will either try to take it on themselves or will just kill a project altogether because they can't continue it or they don't believe they can continue it. And a lot of times, like I said, that's because they want their big storytelling strategy to pay off in three or six months. And we just know that sometimes those kinds of strategies can take more time, especially when you've been doing little or nothing up to that point. That's great. You know, Brian uh, mentioned Ursula as well. So uh, I'm glad to hear you reinforce that without, without even, uh, you know, talking to each other. That's good. It's good stuff. I'll have to, oops, you know, <laughs> no, that's good. No, I'm, I think it's good. It reinforces that, Hey, this is a, uh, this is <laughs> someone to look to, right? He called her a change agent of sorts. So I think that's, um, I think that's another thing. I think people internally need somebody that's going to champion the change or champion the, the seriousness of it. So, look, Dan, I want to be mindful of your time, but before we go here, what, where, where should we head to learn more about Dan Newman, what you have going on? What's the one thing we ought to check out that, that you're doing that we should uh, take a look at and consume so we could do our jobs better? Yeah, I have so many, but I would say two things I'd ask. One, you know, check me out on, on Twitter. I'm still a huge believer. I love the platform. Great way to start communities and conversations. It's at Daniel Newman UV. And then check out my uh, website, DanielNewmanSpeaks.com. 
And if you go to that site, you can see all my different companies. You can see all the places I'm being published. You can check out my TED Talk or some of the different talks I've done. Uh, buy my books, do all those things. And, and like I said, Joel, thanks for the opportunity to plug it. So definitely conver conversation with me on Twitter and then jump on to DanielNewmanSpeaks.com. And I look forward to making your acquaintance and hopefully turning that acquaintance into a friendship. Uh, very good. So do I, Dan. And I, I got to tell you, I could have talked for, for another good uh, hour or two. I, I love your perspective on it. I love what you're doing. I'm glad we got to know one another today on the phone, and we'll we'll keep in touch. So, again, we've been speaking with Dan Newman. He is the principal analyst at Futurum Research and the CEO of Broadsuite Media Group. And it's quite likely that you've read him on Huffington Post or Forbes. Go ahead and check him out. Look at his TED Talk. You're going to be glad that you now know who Dan Newman is. Dan, thanks so much for coming on Video Matters today. Yeah, I appreciate it. Great conversation, Joel, and I'll be glad to come back anytime.